Hi there and welcome to another Careers in Health podcast. My name is Todd Fraser. Joining me today is Dr. Madeline Adams to talk about her career in ophthalmology. Madeline, welcome to the podcast. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, what was it about ophthalmology that first captures your attention? Uh, well, I have to admit, I actually it was suggested to me rather than pursuing it. Um, so which I, is maybe not typical, but I'm sure it's I'm, I'm not alone. Um, I was doing a medical job uh, at that time. It was neurology, and uh, and it was really obvious that I was doing all of the procedures. I wanted to do the muscle biopsies and LPs, and, and one of my bosses said, "Oh, maybe you'd be better suited to a procedural specialty. Have you thought about ophthalmology?" And so I applied for it and did it, and I loved it. So in terms of what appealed to me then was it was it really was like I totally loved it from the start. Uh, I love the combination of medicine and surgery. I loved all the gadgets and the lasers. And it's just, it's really cool. It's, it's very cutting edge and it's always changing. And I still love it. Yep. Is it something that you'd had much exposure to as a medical student or junior doctor up to that point? Almost nothing. Yeah, okay. I think I had a day standing, you know, five metres away in a dark room or in theatre when somebody did a cataract operation. We couldn't really see what was going on. Um, and yeah, nobody really ever talked about ophthalmology. I think, I think I'm sure still some doctors think that we're optometrists. Yeah. Mm. You mentioned that you like the balance between procedural and non-procedural work. What, what sort of split do you have in your practice? Well, so I, I'm not representative of all ophthalmologists. Uh, and that's another really nice thing about ophthalmology is that you can kind of choose that weighting as to what suits you. Yeah. So for me now, I am quite heavily procedurally weighted. And so um, I do a lot of cataract surgery. It's my, my main game, I suppose. Uh, but I also dabble in other things. But um, so, so a, lot of, a lot of my days are seeing pre and post patients for surgery and doing the surgeries. Um, and that's because I love surgery, right? Uh, but then, I mean, some people are just entirely medical ophthalmologists, and then some people are very brainy medical ophthalmologists, but also do surgery as well, and, and they're good at both. So you can yeah. kind of choose, when you're a consultant, you can kind of choose how you want to weight it. And throughout training, again, it's it's fairly evenly balanced. It's not, I mean, it's not all surgery, but um, obviously you can't perform surgery without clinics. But there's a lot of sort of thinking and, you know, sleuthing, which is also quite fun. Yeah. Um, what are the what's the spread of pathologies that you would say? What does an ophthalmologist do for those who haven't had that much exposure to it? <laughs> well, we don't make glasses, um, but, <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually amazingly diverse, and uh, lots of people find that hard to believe. But I mean, it's almost within ophthalmology, it's like the difference between you know an orthopedic surgeon and a psychiatrist. It kind of feels like it's that difference in personalities yeah. and 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 exposures and. and and what people do yep. so um so what's well, different segments of the eye so broadly speaking you could say anterior segment and posterior segment so that's sort of two types you have yeah. like the posterior segment or retinal surgeons um, which do the retinal detachments and look after um, the surgical retina side but you also have medical retina which is uh how i mean so almost well i shouldn't say every but so many systemic diseases will have uh, an ophthalmic component you can diagnose all sorts of things you know, obviously through looking particularly at the posterior segment of the eye so uh, and then there's macular degeneration and you know diabetic retinopathy so there's so non-surgical retina and then anterior segment you know uh, cornea uh, glaucoma uh, but, um, and then of course there's neuro ophthalmology uh, so 
And then ocular immunology. So uh, things, you know, many uh, immunological diseases will manifest with eye signs. So oftentimes an ophthalmologist may be the first person uh, seeing someone with sarcoid, for instance, or TB or syphilis. It's not unusual to be the first person to diagnose syphilis, which is kind of funny um, or unexpected, perhaps. So, yeah, we see a huge range of different types of presentations um, and tend to end up concentrating in, in one area because these days it's just too much. I think 40 years ago when, when we didn't do so much surgery or surgery that worked, perhaps, then people were more jack of all trades. And that's increasingly not the case. Yeah. You, you mentioned that it's almost like there's a number of subspecialties in Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. That, those ones I described yeah. <laughs> and probably others that I missed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what are the sorts of things that get you out of bed in the morning? What What do you derive satisfaction from in your day to day work? Mm. So, well, for me, so obviously I've already said that I like surgery, um, yeah. and so I guess what I like about that uh, is the precision, the absolute concentration. It's a bit like any of those activities when you're just in one zone and you're concentrating really hard it's just really mm. satisfying and you're doing something you know it's just it's completely absorbing yep. all all other troubles or stresses will recede in your mind for that day you know and that's really quite self-indulgent but yep. also fun i also do enjoy consulting i quite like people yep. you know so i quite like chatting to people and um and, and we are so lucky because it's a very positive, happy specialty. Well, certainly cataract surgery, I mean, it's probably really up there mm. because people come in and then and you transform their lives. Like, you know, we're so lucky to be able to do that. They will often, people often cry because they're just so amazed that they can see so well again. Or even mm. if they didn't have terrible cataract, but they had bad refractive error and then they can see so much better or they don't need glasses the first time in their life. And that's pretty huge. Yep. So, but obviously um, that's not all of it. That we sometimes we have to give people bad news, or um, you know that we pick up other conditions, or people come in with something that's blinding and we can't fix, which is always the worst. I think yeah. having a fixing mentality probably attracts most ophthalmologists. You want to fix everything, and you can't always. But just yeah, I, I what gets me in bed in the morning, I suppose, is is that I, I like interacting um, with my patients, and I love the surgeries and procedures that we perform. Yeah. Do you tend to form long-term relationships with patients or they come and have their surgery for a problem and then you don't see them again? Well, it's, again, it's a combination. Really so um, so for, for cataract surgery patients, you don't know them for very long, mm. um, although you often then meet their spouses and cousins and you know, <laughs> <or> neighbours. <laughs> so you sort of stay in their community for a long time. Um, uh, whereas glaucoma and retina patients, uh, you'll see for years, uh, and and sometimes it's quite sad because they will eventually die, and and, and you become quite attached yeah. to them, and and then they're dead, and it's it's like oh, there's a, there's a little hole, yeah. you know, um, in your life, which is um, so you do become attached to them, you can't help it. Um, because it's over years; it's not even over months, you know. Yeah. Um, so it, it, yeah, it's, it, it's a it's a it's a balance; it's both. Are there things about your specialty that you don't like? For the actual work, no, actually, no. Um, I think you know it's like every part of medicine. There are there are stresses, um, and uh, you know, it's not so much related to the job, but like you know, like it can be demanding. I think for for trainees, every specialty can be demanding, um, and 
and that's almost like a different subject. So if you didn't have any of that, I think it would just be a delight from start to finish. But you know, it's um, it's like it's hyper competitive. I do feel for the for for juniors doing it because a lot of whether or not you make it to be a consultant is probably luck. Although I don't think consultants ever like to admit that mm. because they'd like to believe that we're just the elite. <laughs> but I think you know it's not true, is it? Lots of really good people won't make it. Um, but that isn't really. Uh, a reflection so much on, on, on what makes a specialty. I mean, the actual specialty yeah. is fantastic. You mentioned there the competition and, uh, around training. It's got a reputation as being very challenging to get into. Is that the reality? Yeah, I mean, most other non-ophthalmologists say, oh, I assume your dad was an ophthalmologist. <laughs> 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 because uh, there is a little bit of a cliche about, um, you know, maybe nepotism, which may, there may be some truth <laughs> in that. Um, but uh, my dad's not an ophthalmologist, just a disclaimer. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I think hopefully that's changing as well. But I mean, I think the reality is that all specialties are competitive. I think ophthalmology um, is appealing because it doesn't have the, uh, the well, some parts of it do actually have on call more than others. Like if you're a retinal surgeon, you kind of um, be expected what well, you will be doing on call um, forever if, if you're going to be doing emergencies. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's pretty good for a lifestyle uh, mix, um, so you can see why it's appealing. And also, obviously, because I think it's really fun anyway. Um, yeah, it's, there's no doubt that it is competitive, and mm. um, so you just, I guess, if you're really interested in it, you just all you can do is do the best you can do to make sure that um, your CV is as strong as possible. Yeah. What sort of job opportunities are there at the moment? With respect to, so, so, so well, there's non-training and there's training jobs. Yep. And remember, that it doesn't have to just be within Queensland. So ophthalmology is quite a small specialty anyway. Um, so um, there aren't that many jobs uh, around the country and there aren't that many training jobs each year, although I think it's better than it, than it used to be. But So I don't actually have to admit, I don't know what it is at the moment, but it's usually about four or five, I think, a year in Queensland. Yep. There's more, obviously, in the more popular states. Um, and but also it's not a bad idea to think if you're interested to think about I would say for a junior doctor to go and work in another state um, and you know work in like in, in the Iron Ear in Melbourne or in Sydney Island Hospital or you know even go all the way west I mean there are other places <laughs> that exist in Australia that have got excellent ophthalmology departments and it's probably good also to have some yeah. interstate exposure I think definitely having some kind of non-training experiences well it's, it's probably a prerequisite to apply for training but also will give you an idea about whether or not you want to continue before you start doing too much even narrowed down research um and then in terms of research it seems to go in and out of you know, your cycles of whether you have to you know, do a phd or you don't or i don't think you should ever go into research because you want to get into a program really i think you've got to do it because you're interested in it and you're happy to spend a few years of your yeah. life doing it and it, yeah. i also think it's great fun to do phd it's a different topic but i totally love that as well um but certainly you know if you were thinking about ophthalmology then I, then um a PhD is probably likely to be helpful or a master's. A lot of people do this master's course um, in ophthalmology. I've noticed that almost seems to become a prerequisite because everyone does it. But also you'll get a feel if you find it interesting. Because yeah. if you enjoy studying it and you're inter interested in the anatomy and physiology of the eye, then it's probably a win. And if not, then you think again. <laughs> so. now you mentioned that some ophthalmologists do emergency call work um whereabouts are the jobs as consultants are they mainly in private practice do they tend to have an even split across private and public 
I should have got some stats to look at, shouldn't I? Before? <laughs> <laughs> but my guess would be that it's uh, probably at least 80% private. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'd say at least 80%. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I would say even those that work publicly, I think it's really unusual to be a staff specialist in Australia. Yeah. Uh, I reckon there's probably fewer than 10. Um, and again, that's a guess. <laughs> but I'd be surprised if it was wildly wrong. Um, so most people would do a bit of private, even if they if they did public work. I think it's quite unusual to do pure public. Yeah. Um, yeah. In broad terms, what does the training program involve? Lots of exams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've got to like studying. You got. I think you've got to be a bit of a nerd. Um, so it, it's it's. I think it's like anything. It's 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 being improved constantly. So I again I'm. I can't speak for exactly what it involves at every stage now, uh, but it's a blend of learning, you know, theory. And there's a reasonable amount of theory and ophthalmology. Again, I haven't done another training program, so I can't compare it, but mm. there are quite a few exams. And so there's a lot of um, optics and physiology and anatomy, and then there's the clinical exams as well. So you sort of seem to be doing exams throughout most of your training. Um, but they're useful because they make you actually learn the stuff. Yeah. Um, and then at this, and you slowly, incrementally are introduced to surgery. And that, again, that's becoming more structured. Uh, and, and there are surgical simulators and other ways of learning surgery now, yeah. um, rather than just, you know, see one, do one doesn't really work in ophthalmology. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and there's and, and a stepwise approach to training too, where juniors sort of get to certain steps of the surgery and then, and then more. So by the end of the training, um, for instance, uh, trainees are usually competent at cataract surgery, for instance, yeah. whereas at the beginning they would have done probably none or, or maybe a few. So, yeah. um, And then, of course, there's, it's not just cataract surgery, but some of those surgeries aren't commonly done. So if you wanted to do those, you'd go away and you'd do another year or two in that um, subspecialty doing a fellowship. Yeah. Um, certainly pre-COVID, it was pretty normal for people to go to uh, the UK particularly or, or the States if you have USMLE exams uh, mm. or Canada uh, yeah. to, to acquire those subspecialty skills. Yeah. Is there a particular person that ophthalmology would suit, do you think? Well, again, I think because it, there are some kind of fairly diverse roles within it I think it does almost have a place for most people I think probably you have to be a little bit OCD uh, although maybe not always but it's the, sur the surgery is very oh, it's microsurgery it's very precise like there's not a lot of room for error yeah. um, and um, and so if I guess if you were just slapdash, that's probably probably not the type of <laughs> surgery you probably shouldn't be a surgeon at all should you really but you know um, but probably I'd say most people are, are are heading towards being on the spectrum in terms of obsessiveness. Like I'm just going to admit that. I think most of us are, um, and I think you increasingly, just generally in medicine, I think you've got to have good um, soft skills too, because yep. you know the machines are replacing us, right? So it's not just about how rainy you are, because we've got machines to do that now. Yeah. Um, you've got to be able to uh, relay results to patients and explain things and explain complex uh, well, optics really in a simple way that a patient can understand and make an informed decision about things like that. So I think, I think the soft skills are important. So we don't, I don't think, um, so unless you like talking to people and interacting with people, I mean, maybe be an anaesthetist. I don't know. You don't have to talk to them then, do you? <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't say that. I know you're going to be sort of an intensivist. Almost, same thing. <laughs> your patients don't talk back, do they? Not a lot, no. Not if we're doing our job properly. <laughs> uh, 
Where do you see the specialty evolving over the next 10 to 20 years? Well, I think it's really interesting, actually, because all of the stuff I'm saying now, of course, is based on what it is now. And the reality is it probably will be entirely different. Mm. Um, there's already robotic surgery starting. Um, and uh, I, and also we have better treatment for things. So mm. probably some things that we have to use surgery for now, we may not. For instance, glaucoma, it'd be interesting to see if we eventually. So it was sort of not it, it was. Um, loads of surgeries have emerged and uh, that's a so glaucoma is like a, an optic neuropathy where people lose peripheral vision with time and at the moment the kind of the treatment is mainly lowering pressure in the eye and that drops laser surgery but I kind of wonder if in like 15 years whether or not the treatments will be so good that hardly anybody gets surgery at all and so those surgeries just won't exist and I, I wonder if that's the same for certain mm. other conditions so we'll have less surgery uh, and different surgery and so maybe it will matter less about your um, fine motor skills because it won't be you doing anyway, it'll be a robot, you know, whereas now I'd say that fine motor skills are probably one of the more important things. So you've got a tremor, no, don't do ophthalmology. <laughs> <laughs> um, finally, for people who are listening to this and thinking, well, maybe that's an option for me. As we mentioned right at the start of this interview, you often don't get a lot of exposure to it as a medical student or junior doctor. How would you suggest people find out more about whether this is right for them? Well, that's a good question. So well, we currently have a medical student working for <laughs> us. So maybe try and uh, do some teching work in a practice, I think, because then you're really, you, you know, you're not just observing somebody and, and um, counting down the minutes to lunch. You know, you're kind of like uh, involved in the patient journey. So I think um, that that's not a bad idea. Let's see if you can um, do that part time. Uh, or in the holidays, you know, um, and then again, I mean, you could, you could. Do, so I think within uh, your um, your sort of junior house officer years, you can choose rotations to go through ophthalmology. That's also, I think, a, a good way of seeing a twelve. And I mean, the reality is, like, of course, private and public ophthalmology in some ways is quite different. So I don't think you should necessarily. <laughs> decide whether or not you like ophthalmology just on on exposure to a public department and probably vice versa you know I think it's good to see yeah. both yeah. Um, so yeah I think ex experience obviously so either through a, a junior rotation uh, doing some teching which you could, can do even as a medical student um, and then get you could get, if you were really sort of had a feeling you were super keen it wouldn't be a bad idea to do some research and generally there's people often very happy to have willing researchers assist them with research projects um, and then the good thing about having uh, papers that you're also interested in on your CV is that if you then decide it's not for you well that's that they you know they still carry points if you're looking for other training programs I mean I think you have to be quite pragmatic really in the sense that increasingly and rightfully so training programs are more standardized in their entry criteria uh, and so it's probably a good idea to sort of look at that and uh, and also, um, you know, hedge your bets a little bit, have some things which you could apply to more than one programme with, I think. Yeah. Madeline, thanks very much for joining us. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Get access to all our great interviews, as well as hundreds of modules, journal reviews, quizzes and articles by downloading our free app. Search for My Osler wherever you get your apps or visit our website at oslocommunity.com.